All right. Good to see you guys all here this morning. Hope you had a good Christmas. Uh, we did. Ate too much, like usual. Um, now I feel guilty, but and I don't feel good, period. But but we had a great uh, we had a great Christmas. We're gonna do. Uh, you guys all gotta have your Bibles because that's what you do when you come to church. Is you have your Bibles and. Um, we're, we're not going to have a specific text today. We're kind of going to move around. So, so we're going to kind of be all over the place. You can just kind of keep up with me uh, on that. Um, what I want to talk about today is, is maybe something that's a little bit different than what you might hear at Christmas. Maybe not. Maybe you've heard something like this before. Uh, one, of the, one of the curses that a pastor has is when it comes to like Christmas and it comes to Easter, um, we're always trying to find new and fresh ways uh, to to bring a Easter message or a Christmas message, which is stupid. I know if you think about it, like like the resurrection is is plenty and the the incarnation is plenty. But we're always trying to find like a different edge. And um, we uh, have this tradition um, every single year where the day after Thanksgiving we go and we cut our Christmas tree down. We usually take like service road, I don't even know what that service road, 40 or 41, whatever's right, uh, off our house, usually get up there about six miles, and we start getting into firs, and, and so there's, there's trees that start looking pretty good, like they belong in our house, and, and, um, and so we, we go up and we do this, and I started thinking this year about um, how weird that is if there's not a, like a reason behind it, um, and so um, how many of you put a Christmas tree in your home? Let's just start there. Let's just shame everybody. All right, those of you who don't and are against it, take note. Uh, and, and so I, I'm assuming some of you don't. How many of you have taken it down already? All right, cool. No, no, no bah humbugging going on. So my wife, today's her birthday. And, um, and it, yeah, it's the day after Christmas. And so for a lot of years, what I would do for her as a birthday gift is we would make sure that all the Christmas decorations were down by the end of Christmas Day so that her day could be her day. And then it was like, forget that. We did it for years, and it's like, we don't do it anymore. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's my wife's um, birthday today. And I actually did want to just give a praise, a shout-out to, um, I always tell you guys, Jesus is the best thing about me, which is true. Uh, my wife's the second best thing about me. Um, she uh, is just a total blessing. And it's just, it's just weird to think that we've grown up together. We met at 16 years old. And we both just turned 48, and um, we've just been together. Like through, we, We've kind of watched several different people emerge out of um, the people that we first dated. And, and, and we're still together, and, and, um, and it's better than it's ever been. I'm still learning to love her better, and she's still learning to love me better. But I, I really appreciate my wife. It's a, it's a major, um, major blessing to me in my life. Some of you put up a Christmas tree in your home. Now back to business. How many of you know why? <laughs> okay. Dude, that's good, bro. Do you have a pot? You should have a podcast or something. I know you do. I was going to plug it just now, but um, it, it's, it's amazing to me how many years I went and how many, I think, years that people go through their lives doing this tradition, doing this thing, and not having any idea why they're putting a tree in the middle of their home, you know? Uh, we got people uh, in our culture from different backgrounds, from different upbringings, uh, from different belief systems, putting up trees in their home this time of the year, and most of them have no idea why. It's just something that you do. You just do it. It's what we do. 
Um, and like I said, we go up, we cut our tree every year. We did it this year. I think this year was the best tree maybe that we found. Uh, it was like the, the hallelujah chorus when we came around the corner and saw it sitting there. Like it was just one of those like, like hallmark things. And, um, and like it was perfect. And we cut it and we brought it. And I remember I'm, while I'm sitting there cutting it, I'm thinking like if there's, like if there's no actual reason behind this, this is one of the most ridiculous things that we do every year is go into the woods, cut a tree, take it home, set it up in the middle of our houses, put lights on it, decorate. Like, that is just pure silliness if um, it's just because we can. Um, like, where did that come from, right? And so um, the kind of the question for me, um, for or for us as Christians, is what does the Christmas tree have to do with Jesus, if anything? What does it have to do with Jesus, because if it's just a tree in the middle of our homes, it's weird. You know what I mean? Um, and, and this is worth considering uh, because it's not like we have a verse in our Bibles. It's not like we have scriptures in our Bibles or like we have the apostles promoting or the early church um, walking in this tradition of putting up a Christmas tree in their homes. Like it's not there, right? So, so what is it? What does the Christmas tree have to do with Jesus? And many Christians would answer, it doesn't. It's pagan. It's actually wrong. In fact, they would, they, they would say, not only do you not have a verse for putting up a Christmas tree in your home this time of the year, but I have a verse for why you shouldn't. And it's found in Jeremiah chapter 10. And so, yes, you may t- some of you are scared and you're like, no. Yeah, go there. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 10. Let's look at this. Pretty much in the middle of your Bibles. If you close it, open up almost to the middle, you're going to be pretty close. Jeremiah chapter 10. Let's just read verses 1 through 5. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not from other Christians or, or even non-Christians. It's interesting. Chapter 10, verse 1, hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord. Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the sign of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at him. For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down, and it's worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman, and they decorate it with silver and gold. And they fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. But do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. That sounds pretty hardcore. That even sounds a little bit like what you and I do this time of the year at Christmas with a tree. A little bit. So what gives? I mean, obviously the Christmas tree's bad because it says it right there in our Bibles. And, and again, I don't know if you've had a family member or someone that you went to church with that ever brought this to your attention and rebuked you with this passage. I've had it happen several times over the years, and, and it's like it says, it says so right there in your Bibles. So what's up with that? Well, here's the first problem with that interpretation that Christmas trees are bad. This was written like 600 years before the Savior was even born, so it has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with Christmas, right? Um, whatever this is, it's not speaking to a Christmas tradition. It wasn't for the commemoration of the incarnation 
of our Savior. So what is this? Well, I just want you to take notes. I want us together to take note of just a couple things in this text. The first thing is how it begins. If you don't pay attention to the first couple of lines, then it, it, may, it may very well look exactly like a Christmas tree. And those lines are this. God says through Jeremiah, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. And then it goes into their customs or why they're doing what's described here. What does it mean to be dismayed? It means to be afraid of or scared of or terrified of or even discouraged by. So what's that tell us right from the beginning? That the nations are looking here, right, where the one only true God exists and the things that he does, and they're discouraged by it. They don't want anything to do with it. So they then take it upon themselves to go and create or fashion for themselves something that suits them, something that they do want to have something to do with, something that's safe, something that's comfortable, but not this. So this is just full-blown, pure idolatry. I also want you to notice something very interesting in verse 3. It says, For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a... What does a craftsman do? He doesn't just go out and hack a tree down. It's like an artist, but in this case, it would be an artist that works with wood, meaning that there's images being carved. There's actually something intentional, uh, a graven image, um, something that resembles a deity that's being made, crafted, fashioned, so that they can look at that instead of look at this. Does that make sense to you guys? This is what's going on here. If we just take it on the surface, it's like, don't go into the woods, cut down a tree, bring it in, you're pagan. If you do that, you're completely godless. There's a little more than that here. It's, it really helps us just to slow down sometimes when we read our Bibles and just consider each word that's there, where it is in the context of the entire meaning. And it's not as hard sometimes for us to hear from God that way and his original intent. Um, and, and I think it's pretty clear when we just slow down a little bit and look at some of these things. This is talking about full-blown idolatry. It's talking about an actual rejection of the one and true God and then replacing it with something else that suits you, that's on your terms, which is something that hopefully none of us are doing. <laughs> it's not anything that, um, that I have a desire to do any longer in my life. Uh, the question then becomes, can we make a Christmas tree an idol? The answer is, yeah, we can make anything an idol. Our hearts are idol factories. It doesn't take much. Sometimes it's just imagination. Sometimes it takes nothing. Sometimes it's just an imagination of something that we can turn into a God and that we can worship. Does that mean the tree in your house, no matter what reason or purpose it's in there, is bad? Hardly. It doesn't mean that at all. Let's take a test real quick. Right? When's the last time you prayed to your Christmas tree? For, seriously, for me, it's been like 40 years because uh, I, I, there was a time, you know, but not anymore. When was the last time you've sacrificed to your Christmas tree? When's the last time that you bowed down to your Christmas tree? Some of you shouldn't answer that. Um, 
When's the last time you looked at it and it said, you're going you're gonna to be, you're going to be my God. Um, because that's what these guys were doing here. That's what's going on here in uh, Jeremiah. Uh, there's a difference between an object that is placed in our lives to be worshipped and an object placed in our lives to point us to the one who's worthy of our worship. Those are two different things. Jesus has clearly informed us throughout the Gospels that the object in and of itself is not the problem. Right? Our heart toward that object is. The problem lies here when it comes to idolatry. If we fail to understand this truth, if we fail to see, observe, and utilize much of what we're given by God in our lives to glorify and to worship Him back with, then we will fail to take all the opportunities we have to glorify Him and worship Him. I said that completely the long way, but I think you, I think you followed me, right? This is often what many Christians have done throughout the history of Christmas just because not everybody celebrates Christmas with the Savior in mind. And if not everybody's celebrating Christmas with the Savior in mind, then none of it's good. We might as, throw, might as well throw all of it out. It sounds a little extreme. This is very true even here. I know a lot of us like to, like to boast about how we were, uh, our founding fathers were, were Christian and we were built on a Christian nation. But did you know that in the early history of this nation in America, many of our nation's early fathers, primarily the Puritans, they were a huge influence on a lot of them, believed that celebrating Christmas at all was pagan. It was wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. You know why? Because they came over basically from Europe, where the celebration of Christmas already became largely secularized and trendy and pagan under the influence of Prince Albert and Queen Victoria. So they just said, it's bad period, don't do it. Just don't do it at all. And so they threw out Christmas. In fact, in 17th century America, back during the original 13 colonies, Christmas was even outlawed. It was outlawed. If you were caught celebrating or participating in Christmas, you were fined. It hits you in your pocketbook. So uh, because of this, shops were to remain open, stores were to remain open, commerce had to go on, business as usual, services. The only place that was to be closed come Christmas Day was churches. Churches. Very different. All, all due to this heavy Puritan conviction and influence which believed that if all people were doing it right, then all of it was wrong. Sounds pretty extreme, and I get it, and I think you get it too. I don't know about you, but it it sickens me to look around at just the pop culture way of approaching Christmas and celebrating Christmas. Like, it's pretty ugly. It's um, There's a lot of nonsense there. I get that today's Christmas traditions and meanings primarily involve pure fantasy, have nothing to do with the Savior. Uh, We have flying reindeer pulling a fat man through the sky. You know what I mean? And elves and workshops. That dude fitting down. A ch- I've done chimneys for 25 years. He can't fit down any of them. None of them. Like the fact that what you receive is directly determined upon whether you've been naughty or nice. According to your Bible, we're all on the naughty list. You know what I'm saying? Like John, there's this really cool Christmas sweater that I keep like 
hinting at my wife to get me. It's a it's John Calvin with like a, a ho ho hat on, like a rad like Christmas hat, and it just says you're all on the naughty list, which is which is that's just sick. If I was ever going to wear a Christmas sweater, that's the one, right? According to the Bible, we're all uh, on the naughty list. Um, and when you really start to think about what it is for most people, it almost makes you want to. It almost makes you want to ban it and throw it out. It almost makes you not want to participate in it at all. It makes you think twice about things like the Christmas tree that we're setting up and putting in our homes every single year. So let's see if we can just answer just a couple of questions, okay, concerning this this morning, the Christmas tree. Number one, where did the Christmas tree as we know it originate? Where did it come from? As far as the Christian history of it, it originated in the Middle Ages, which would be considered like 5 AD through to like the 16th century, okay? In Germany and parts of Europe, there was a practice that went on once a year where they would cut down a tree and they would bring it inside. And they would put apples on it. And this tree was called the Paradise Tree. It was called the Paradise Tree. It was a celebration that took place on December 24th of each year and was called the Feast of Adam and Eve. You ever heard of that? Interesting. The tree represented the tree, obviously, that was in the garden, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve ate from that ended up bringing forth sin and death into the world. Merry Christmas, right? And so they would put the apples on there, of course, that would refer to uh, the fruit on that, um, on that tree. John, what would you do to my notes, bro? So, so they had this... <laughs> what would you do to my fingers? I can't use them properly. So they had this paradise tree, right, that they would bring in once a year, December 24th. And along with it, they had what was called the paradise play where they would get together, I don't even want to know what this looked like, and they would reenact basically the fall, right, of, of man. Super interesting. And they were Christians. They, they acknowledged the second tree too, and, and they, would, they would play out the entire redemptive story, praise God, but it was really a focus on what happened to the world and how it happened. Then in the 1500s, a man came along, by the name of Martin Luther. Yeah, I know. Martin Luther. I mean, what did this guy not do for modern-day Christianity, right? For modern-day Protestantism. Martin Luther. He's walking through the forest one night. It was super dark, but it was also super brilliant because it was so dark. He said, he recalled as he walked through the forest with his son, that the stars were unusually many and unusually bright that night. And he caught the silhouette of a fir tree surrounded and basically dressed up in, adorned in all these stars that were coming through this tree and surrounding this, this tree. And the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, came to his mind. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light came into the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it or extinguish it. This is what he saw when he caught that, that image. And boom, the idea, you know what I'm going to do to my paradise tree? I'm going to stick candles 
on it, which we don't suggest at all. Like, don't. The fire marshal suggest it. I'm not suggesting it. Like, but if you want to go, like, legitly, like, if you're a purist, that's the way it's done, right? With candles. And he did. He went home that year, and when the paradise, the, the festival of Adam and Eve came along, he had candles on his tree for him and his family to signify the fact that light came into the darkness, and the darkness could not put it out, could not extinguish it, could not overcome it. And this is really uh, where you and I have what it is that we practice today with taking a tree home and putting um, lights on it. So as best as we know, the Christmas tree, as we have it today, did not have its origins in ancient Babylon. It did not have its origins at Macy's or Rockefeller Plaza, but it was more with this paradise tree that Christians practiced in Europe way back in the Middle Ages than modified by Martin Luther in about the 1500s. Okay? Number two, what does the tree demonstrate? Well, I just kind of gave that away a little bit, um, but it really depends on who you ask and when you ask them, right, <laughs> as to what the Christmas tree uh, demonstrated. If you asked me when I was a kid what it demonstrated, it would have been simple. It, 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 rep, it presents, you know what I mean, for me, goodies for me, like a payout for me. Um, to me, outside of Christ, the tree was just this magical, mythical, weird thing in my house that made no sense, but it didn't matter that it made no sense because it was going to yield the goods. You know what I mean? That's just the way I looked at it. All I saw when I looked at that tree was the, the very good potential of um, more video games or more Star Wars action figures or an Atari or a, a bike or money or candy or you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's, that's all that I saw when I saw the tree. The truth is that it didn't really matter to me at the time why the tree was there. It just mattered that it had something underneath it, right? But like, take or leave the tree, <laughs> even though it kind of looked cool. So that was a bonus. And, and then in time, something happened, right? Which is that I came to the knowledge of a Savior that loved me and came and made that love known like put it on display. And I got saved. And when I got saved, I found that what happened to me went far beyond just getting my ticket to heaven punched. That it went a lot deeper than that. I found that I actually, when I got saved, became brainwashed. Um, it's funny. Not funny, but kind of funny. Um, my wife comes out of generations of um, non-believers. And they're not just like your run-of-the-mill non-believers. They're like Berkeley graduate unbelievers. <laughs> so like there's hostility and arrogance. Um, and here God just decided in due time to pluck her out of the middle of the generations of that. And when she first got saved, I remember some of the comments that they would make her mom and her grandma to them. They were just so nasty, the way that they would talk to her, the way that they would treat her. And her mom just used to say with disgust, you've been brainwashed. And I'd sit back there and it'd be like, heck yeah, she has. Like, praise God, she has. She has been brainwashed. 
She's had her brain washed. She's had her heart washed. And you need it too, <laughs> you know? Brainwashed. When we get saved, people, we have been brainwashed and we are being brainwashed. And that is a praise. That is a boast to the glory of God. That is not a hit. I found that when I got saved, my worldview and my interpretation of the world around me got completely rearranged because of this brainwashing. Like I started looking at and interpreting things completely different in life than I ever had before. And what I mean by that is I began to see the biblical narrative, right, in basically everything around me, in everything around me, whether it was when I would read the news or the way that I started to view my job, because before, my job was, was only a bad thing. It was only a curse. It was only something that happened. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is actually an opportunity. This is actually something I get to glorify God in as my vocation and what I'm doing, even if I'm pumping gas into a car or, or running a, a piece of lumber through a molder. Like, I get to, I get to actually, like, put forth the glory of God in how I do this. And it became not a burden then, but an opportunity because of the way my brain started to be rearranged, right? I, I couldn't watch a movie. I still can't to this day watch a movie. I don't care if it's a totally secular movie. has nothing to do with God. I cannot watch and process that movie without running it through a biblical worldview interpretation, without considering this narrative, I don't care what movie it is. It's the same thing with music. I love music. I'm a music freak. Hardly any of it is Christian music, right? Because I believe that God still created man, even sinners, even lost people in his image. And as a result of that, there's some residue there of some pretty rad stuff being created. But even with music, I'm the same way. I can't hear a piece of music, even if it has nothing to do with God, without processing it through the, a biblical lens. That's what I mean by brainwashed. Like, he, just, he didn't just come and say, cool, you're going to go to heaven with me and be forgiven. He came and he said, I'm going to rearrange your life. That's what it's going to look like, feel like, and result in, as a result of following me. I'm going to rearrange your life. And he moved in and he did so. The point is, whether a Christmas tree is biblical or not biblical is really not something I'm concerned with anymore. I really don't care. But taking advantage of, of more and more opportunities to see Jesus and to worship Jesus and to glorify Jesus in my life and in my heart is. That is what I'm concerned with. So having said that, when I hear the word tree, tree, because of my brainwashing, my mind automatically goes straight to two. I don't know about yours. And it may be just a quick flash. But for me, when I hear the word tree, my mind goes to two. The one in the garden, and then the one that Jesus brought us. That's where, that's where my brain goes. The tree that brought about the fall of man and the tree that brought about the redemption of man. And I'm, I'm going to say it again. I did not train myself to do that. There was never a point where I thought, oh, I'm a Christian now, so I need to start thinking of all these biblical things whenever I hear a word. No, it's just something that started happening. It's something that happened to me. It's something that he did to me. He wants me to see him, be mindful of him, consider him in everything, in every part of my life, no matter what it looks like. When I think of tree, I think of the tree of paradise lost, and I think of the tree of paradise found. Therefore, come this time of the year, when I see a tree in my home, and that tree is lit up, 
This is where my mind goes. To the tree of paradise recovered. To the tree of redemption. It points me to him. And that's the whole point. That's why I like having it in my own. It's because it points me to him. My mind goes to God coming in the flesh, living a sinless life and dying a sinner's death for me. And it is that gospel that never ceases to blow my mind. That God would come down and do my dirty work. Amazes me. And I want to continue to be more and more amazed by that thought every day. And the tree does that. I think of Philippians. Think, consider this. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, Paul says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus and the Father, we're, we're seeing Trinitarian language here, right? He's, he's equal as part of that Trinity, as part of the Godhead, but he didn't see that equality as God to be something to be held on to, that he was unwilling to do anything else, right? That's what's being said here. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, here it is, emptied. The word here is kenosis. He emptied himself. That means that he made himself of no reputation. So that which was previous, he was willing to just completely set aside and become something, somebody, that was nothing. And he did it by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of what? Death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God the Father has highly exalted him, the Son, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to what? The glory of God the Father. This is why I have a tree in my house. Every time I see that tree and I think of the tree of redemption, it causes me to glorify God for his indescribable gift, for what it is that he has done for us and even to us because Jesus did not see it of utmost importance to hold on to his reputation as God but that he was willing to step down into that which he was over and become nothing for you and I. This is why I have a tree in my house. It's not to worship the tree. It's not to worship that which is under the tree, but to be further compelled to worship the one who was on the tree. That's why it's there, to bring glory to his name, to worship the one who was the life and the light of men who came into the darkness, not only that the darkness to, to, to not be extinguished by the darkness, but to extinguish the darkness. This is why my tree is lit with lights, and this is why Luther's tree was on fire. You know what I'm saying? I read an article. It is stupid, but um, it's this thing that, that talks about how your Christmas tree uh, says something about you. Uh, white light says that you want people in your house to remove their shoes. <laughs> Is that true? How many white lighters do we have in here? 
Is it true? <laughs> it means you're clean, you're sterile, you like, you like everything in its place maybe. Multicolored light says that you're an extrovert, that you're, uh, you're bold, you're outgoing, maybe immature. Blinking light says what? Yeah, you have, AD, you have ADD is what it says. That's what they said. Blinking lights. I wouldn't be able to do it. I'll tell you that much. Handmade ornaments means that you have children or, or that you homeschool. So homeschool mommies. Strung popcorn means that you don't have a job. It means that, it means that you have way, way too much time. Way too much time. Red balls only means that you wish you lived in a department store. You wish you had a department store tree. Yellow star on top, traditional, right? Maybe, maybe even religious. Top cut off uh, means you're lazy. Um, and I can attest to this because I, I did do this one year. Uh, my wife likes the biggest tree possible, and, uh, and so it has to go from floor to ceiling, like touching both. And uh, I was just angry one year I had had it. We were out in the woods all day. The weather, like nothing was going my way. So we, we get home, and usually I'm pretty good at eyeballing these things, taking them in, setting them up. It's like, boom, like, how did I do that? You know? And this time I took it in, and I was like three feet off. Like, this, this thing was just crammed into the ceiling. And I was so mad already at this point that I didn't want to take it back out to cut it. So I just, like, laid it down in the middle of the living room, cut the top off, and then laid it back up. And it looked like it shot straight through the ceiling. It was actually pretty, it was actually pretty cool. Um, but I did and it was because I was lazy. So this is true. It's just lazy. All right. Another sign that you may be lazy uh, is that you have an artificial tree. Um, I thought it just meant you were old, because because when I was because when I was a kid, both both sets of grandparents had um, on a coffee table. They didn't even try to like get something decent sized, like something like that tall that was completely fake. And so like no one told me why. It's so, like you just when you went to like grandma and grandpa's house, like they had these little fake trees. So like I thought there was like this just this rule. That if you were old or over a certain age, like you had to have a small fake tree. So uh, I was thinking while I was looking at this list, um, what does Jesus's tree say about him? What does his tree say about him? How how different was his tree than our trees uh, that we put up this time of the year? And 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 so I'm I'm considering mine, and mine mine is uh, pretty well groomed. It's, it's trimmed, it's, it's clean, it's green, um, partially alive. Uh, his tree was not, you know. His tree was not attractive. It was not clean. Um, it was not pleasant to look at. It, it was not appealing at all. It was not appealing. It was worn, it was stained, and it was constructed for one purpose, and that was to kill people. It was an instrument of torture. Philippians, we just read, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. A cursed tree. A cursed tree. His tree was cursed. Uh, when it comes to lights, I, I am a sucker for the old multicolored ones because those are the ones that I grew up with. Uh, but now that I'm older and mature, um, I roll with one color, and it is white. We have, we have uh, white lights on our tree. Uh, Jesus' tree uh, also had one color, 
uh, and that was red. Um, red with his blood, red with his life, red with the forgiveness of our sins. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so he painted his tree red. My tree uh, was found in the snow. I think I mentioned that earlier. It was kind of like this this hallmark moment when we saw it. Um, It was perfect, and it had snow, like, packed into the boughs, and it, it, it just looked right, you know, fresh and clean and white and perfectly displayed in its natural habitat, like we like to think it would be when we find our Christmas tree. His was not. Um, his tree was not concert, conceived in snow. Uh, it was conceived in offense. Uh, it was conceived in guilt. His tree was not conceived in snow, but when, praise God, he was done with it, it produced snow. It produced snow, Isaiah 1.18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. He painted his tree red so that you and I may be found white. White. This is what I think of, this, this worldview thing, when I even look outside on a day like this. Like, this is partially why we live here. This is pretty rad, um, having a white Christmas, and it's, and it's fresh, and it's clean. But um, my, my worldview, again, doesn't just say, wow, what a killer landscape. My worldview um, um, sees sinners made clean when I look at snow. Um, I'm seeing stuff that's covered, <laughs> um, and it's better because it's covered. <laughs> um, and, and it's just majestic. And, and this is, he was born for this. He was born for this. The tree that we got this year was unusually full. It has a ton of branches, more, I think, than we've ever had on a tree that we've cut down in this place, because usually the trees up there, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty empty. Um, lots of space, you know, between the branches. Not this one. This one almost looked like it didn't belong up there. This one was just crazy thick. We were able to hang and display more lights and more ornaments this year than usual, right? That's our tree this year. His tree had two branches. One for this arm and one for this arm. As if to tell you and to tell me, I love you this much. I love you this much. Jesus' tree says a lot about him, um, and I love him for it. The only reason I love him is because he first loved me. And he came and he displayed that clearly. Clearly. The real source and beauty and glory is not found in how great our tree is this year or next year or the year, you know, two years ago, or how well we decorated it, but in how great his tree was and how well he decorated it for you and me. And it's an indescribable gift, isn't it? That he came, that God himself came into the world to give. And praise be to God that this is a gift that keeps on giving. That this isn't something that's expired, right? And this is why you and I have such a fantastic opportunity this time of the year with friends and with family and with coworkers and with people that come together to tell them what we think of this tree and why we think it so that they may also share in this gift, that they may have uh, this gift too. Um, I'm glad that Jesus leaves the door wide open, right? I mean, after all, he was born in a barn. 
So that was a bad joke. Right? But the door's still open. It's wide open for people to come and to receive this gift that he's given. And I don't have any problem sticking something in the middle of my room this time of the year so that I can be reminded of it every time I sit down or every time I walk by it. Like, why do I exist? Why do I breathe? What is life about? Why is there any joy, any hope at all whatsoever? It's because light came into the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. It could not extinguish it. And so we praise God for that today. Uh, If you don't know of this gift for yourself, today's the day. Let's just go that way with it. Like, it's here and, and waiting for you. And so if, if God's moving on you, um, then I, I would ask you uh, just to put up the white flag and uh, just surrender. I mean, he's going he's gonna to win anyway. <laughs> so um, I, I, I would tell you just to lay down your arms and receive the best gift that you've ever received uh, at Christmas, which is a Savior uh, who has fully uh, burned your rap sheet and forgiven uh, everything that you have done um, that is going to actually come against you one day. Uh, just to have that gone, to not even have to worry about that anymore, is, is amazing. And this is why Jesus was born. This is why God came in the flesh, was to die um, in our place. And so I would just ask you um, just to give up, just to surrender, and to give over, and to enjoy the gift that he's given you. And this is really what we're um, considering when we come to the table, which we're going to do right now. Um, if you haven't been here before, you're just visiting. Basically, we'll just open this up. There's going to be a little music going. But you can just come up um, in your own time, grab your stuff, take it back to your seat, and take it in your own way. And then we'll close with the song at the end. But that, that's what this says every time. I mean, his tree was painted red so that you and I can be white, right? His body was broken on that instrument of torture so that our bodies didn't have to be. Um, and basically, we're accepting this. And we're saying, I believe that for me when we come to this table. That's what it is. So if you don't believe that, um, this table is meaningless. You have no reason to come. If you do believe it, this, this table has infinite meaning, <laughs> endless meaning. Um, and you can't not come because it's everything, right? Lord God, thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you for the Christmas season. Uh, Thank you uh, that you shine brighter than anything, uh, anything uh, that was unwrapped yesterday. Um, We we, we thank you uh, that though you were God and and there was absolutely no reason um, for you to give that up, that that you took your hands off of it and you emptied yourself for our sake, that you came into that which you created uh, to be murdered, by that which you created. Um, And that's just an amazing thing to think about. And so we we thank you, Lord, for our position as completely righteous, our sins being blotted out as clean, as white as that snow that we can look outside and see right now. And this table reminds us of that. And it's all to your eternal glory that we worship you in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.